Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Horticulture Week editor Matthew Appleby and today I'm with the legendary plantsman Adrian Bloom. And Adrian has more than half a century of plantsman's knowledge and was awarded a VMH in 1986. And he has reissued his book 10 years after its publication, his book called Bloom's Best Perennials and Grasses. And in it, he chooses his favourite perennials and grasses, and includes a 100-page directory. And it's both a practical guide and a coffee table book. So, welcome, Adrian. Thank you, man. Excellent. Now, I just wanted to ask you, how did you go about choosing all those plants? You, you had 400, you had 60-odd, and you even whittled it down to a small number of 12. Yes, I did. Well, I, I, I felt at the time that uh, it wasn't... Uh, long before the date when this came out, about 2010, when uh, the Encyclopedia of Perennials, uh, which is a very good reference book, came out, and that had 5,000 different perennials and grasses in it. And I thought, well, you know, great as it is, it's not an ideal thing for somebody who's perhaps a beginner gardener and wants to know what they should plant that's going to have success in their garden. And so I felt that uh, perhaps uh, it would be a good idea to select a more limited number, hence going for initially 64 plants, although I didn't actually count them out, um, uh, perennials and grasses, and also one chapter's called Take 12, and uh, that was just 12. I thought it would be a bit of a challenge to choose 12 plants that uh, more or less gave you year-round colour, and this is just with perennials and grasses, not with any woody plants at all. Um, that isn't to say that one shouldn't mix perennials with other plants too, but uh, and perennials and grasses, of course, have continued to be popular, you know, um, into the present time, very much so. Can you tell us a bit more about those 12? Yes, yes, I probably can't remember them in order, but um, some of them, like the grass, Haconicloa macro albo aurea, um, that uh, has... Um, 
summer long interest from its foliage, um, a bright golden yellow variegation, um, good in a pot, and Ophiopogon planiscapus nigrescens. These words um, are enough to confuse um, certainly new gardeners, but um, um, that's a plant that uh, I've used a lot at Foggy Bottom and elsewhere. And so you've got two plants there that have foliage for a long period of the year, Bagini Bressingham Ruby, there's others, then uh, Heliborus orientalis or hybridus in the spring. Um, so it's sort of uh, having them overlap and join up, uh, things like Miscanthus um, Morning Light, which uh, stands up very well against uh, the weather as well as the Panicum. Um, and uh, of course, Geranium Roseanne had to be in there. Tell me a bit more about geranium roseanne. Now, that's a sort of a big name plant which um, sells many, many thousands. Do you think that type of plant is, is having more influence these days? Well, I think it's sort of got to. I mean, it, it has to be on everybody's recommendation list. I mean, we were instrumental in introducing it um, when um, the breeders in Somerset came to me or sent me the plant and I had it uh, for a few years looking at it and just thinking it was a better better plant. And when it was introduced in 2000, um, I called it the plant of the millennium, but there's no reason after even 20 years to think that it isn't still that plant. And um, looking at it at the moment, uh, here we are getting towards mid-November and it's still in full flower. So quite an amazing hybrid that and almost a chance too. So um, we, whilst we perhaps owe something to breeders today, who were doing something more studied, uh, that was a more or less of a chance seedling. And, you know, if they hadn't really brought it to somebody who was able to introduce it, then it may never really have uh, found uh, the place in, in garden history that it deserves. Now, I think the RHS um, uh, branded it as the as the plant of the millennium too. So I think you're 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 right there. Now, the book is is useful for professionals too, for plantarian managers. Would you say? Well, I think it is, and that's one of the reasons that I had it reprinted uh, under Foggy Bottom Books. The rights reverted to me, and uh, I felt that it still had uh, still fairly well up to date. And the advice, uh, as one reviewer said, was timeless. And um, I think that um, there is a, a case for certain books, uh, perhaps being uh, uh, having a longer period than uh, the publishers would uh, be able to give them. Uh, everybody's looking for the new, as they are with plants. Uh, and so I think that having it republished uh, is useful. And I think probably it would be useful for plantarian managers because, uh, again, it's, it's, um, if they need something that they recommend uh, to customers, then hopefully this would be helpful in that direction. Otherwise, um, most things are bought on impulse and uh, they wouldn't be necessarily recommending uh, every week or every month through the summer something that uh, just happened to be in flower. Indeed. So what has changed in the in the decade since the book was first published, do you think? I think, um, well, as with many other things, there's probably been uh, more of a, a change towards uh, bigger, bigger outlets, uh, bigger retail garden centre chains. Um, probably uh, the whole of the new plant breeding side has become... Uh, in in uh, the hands of some of the bigger distributors of young plants, uh, 
uh, across the world, really. And um, who knows what either Brexit or COVID will have, what sort of effect it will have on that. Obviously, we we are facing the Brexit uh, uh, sort of um, problems uh, of uh, export and import, um, which uh, are going to be quite a problem for the trade at the moment. So I think, um, you know, after COVID too, there's been an appreciation, I think, of um, horticulture, gardening and so on, but whether that will be translated into um, more sort of success for garden centres and so on, I'm not sure. It's um, an area of some turbulence and we're not quite sure where it's going to settle. Do you think new plants are coming out uh, as strongly as, as ever uh, or, or will they next year after the sort of pause with, with the pandemic? I, I think it does seem to still have some resonance with the public, you know, and the RHS plant of the year. I think if we were to look at some of the plants that have won it and some of those that have been sent in, um, I'm not sure how many of those have actually stood the test of time. Um, not many, I think. Um, and of course, they have to be uh, looking their best, ideally, around that sort of time. Uh, May, which means they have to be forced or they have to be held back or, or whatever in order to, to show them. Um, so um, I think um, uh, new plants are there, but I think, of course, they've also been overdone. And I think there's far too many new plants coming out all the time, so much so that if you had the national collection of eucharists, I mean, you'd be tearing your hair out, I think, you know, with 20 or 30 varieties coming out each year. It's just impossible to uh, to really decide on which are the best ones, and it's only over a period of time that you can start to select those. But by which time, of course, some of the best ones may not have made it. They may be chucked out. No, well, it is useful that you you have selected the best, and with all your experience. Now, the people who don't know you who you are, I don't know who they would be, but can you tell us a bit about how you got into gardening into horticulture into plantsmanship what's what's your background yes well um my father of course alan bloom um was uh, very well known um for introducing perennials and uh, he knew from the age of uh, 13 or 14 years old what he wanted to do was to grow perennial plants not just cut flowers and so on and so he started a nursery in 1926 and um with his father and uh, then moved to Bressingham in 1946. Um, we had two years in Canada and uh, came back and he had to rebuild the business. I went to school uh, locally. Um, I had been dragged around a bit around nurseries and was not particularly interested in horticulture but didn't know what I wanted to do. So um, after working at home on the nursery, we already had 70 employees at that time. I went to the US on an emigration visa in uh, 1960 and had a couple of years out there doing all sorts of different jobs. Um, ended up by uh, trying to sell encyclopedias in San Francisco and uh, thought that maybe I'd better have a good horticulture after all. I came back, worked in um, Denmark and uh, Switzerland, um, mostly on perennial nurseries, uh, and then came back in 1962 to join the company, which was um, of reasonable size and a specialist in hardy perennials. Um, I wanted to add something different to the business, which uh, was conifers and heathers, which I thought would offer year-round interest and appeal. And so I sort of developed and built up that side of the business. 
Um, also, we was among the first to introduce new plants and patent new plants and that sort of thing. And then we started a mail order business, um, <laughs> probably getting too complex and uh, the wholesale business grew and we supplied garden centers throughout the UK. So um, I think it was a lucky time in a way that uh, we were developing alongside uh, many other nurseries and uh, the garden centers of course grew tremendously quickly all over the country and, and so the business grew behind it. I think it's quite a different matter these days. It's certainly a, a very famous name. Now, what 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 have, what have you got now? We, uh, people know the Blooms of Bressingham name and the and the Blooms name. So, what 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 belongs to you, and what is now um, sold into other areas of the industry? Well, that's probably a good question, a very good question. And I know that if you listen to almost anything these days, somebody says, "Well, that's a good question." That's, uh, but anyway, uh, it was. So I think. Um, what what uh, we sold the business back in 1997 to a company called Flying Flowers. We got an offer we couldn't refuse, sort of thing, and um, I really have no regrets. Although it did have a long term effect on on our business, people still associate us with Blooms Pressingham, and that was that was basically sold and taken over uh, by this company, who then sort of uh, gone into financial problems themselves and sold various bits of the business to others. Um, so we still had 400 acres of land and also had the gardens. Um, and we had the original company that my father began called Blooms Nurseries Limited, which actually is coming up for its 100th anniversary in 2026. Um, and what my father did was start the gardens uh, at Brassingham in 1952, I think it was. Um, and then I started a garden called Foggy Bottom at, uh, in 1967. Um, so we've got in total about 17 acres of gardens and uh, it's quite unusual for probably nursery people to actually have gardens and be so dedicated to, to the plants that grow in them. But I think both of us uh, in our way wanted to test and increase our knowledge of those particular plants uh, that we grew and show ways to grow them and so on. So they they are um, probably underestimated uh, to some extent as to the interest there is in them uh, in the gardens. There's about 8,000 different uh, taxa in, in total and um, that's keeping, uh, keeping sort of uh, us uh, more than uh, involved. My son, um, eldest son Jason is in the business and managing and running the, the much smaller nursery now. Um, he does some wholesale to garden centres, um, particularly the plant orientated garden centres of which there are fewer and fewer around but also we do a mail order business that we're developing more which uh, under the Bressing Gardens name. Um, we've also diversified into um, weddings and events at uh, Bressingham Hall and also the barn. So um, we've got uh, something that hopefully will help the cash flow out a little bit, a uh, more balanced um, business um, than, than perhaps um, many nurseries or nurseries in particular because garden centres are diversified certainly. No, it's certainly a, a very interesting uh, portfolio that you've got. And I, I guess the mail order side is is doing pretty well at the moment, as it is doing across the industry. 
Yes, it it, it is. And um, I think that um, what we want to do, and to some extent what we did years ago, was to bring the gardens more to people. And I think that's very much uh, technology is there now that, um, you know, if you sort of check on our website, you can sort of see uh, the gardens and um, that was uh, something that wasn't available to you years ago nor with social media and everything else of course so you can uh, reach across continents uh, in a way that you could never do so before so although there's uh, threats and changes there's also opportunities and uh, I think that um, the modern technology has got a tremendous uh, opportunity for us to try to bring uh, attention to uh, to people, to gardeners, but uh, hopefully try to encourage more people into gardening, which is another aspect that uh, I, I've been interested in, um, trying to get more people um, interested and switched on to gardening. In times where gardening may be talked up a lot, but um, is still uh, still is a very mixed bag of elitism and uh, uh, and and the others, <laughs> if you like. Well, as we've heard, you've always been quite an internationalist in terms of gardening. How important do you think that is to have that international perspective? Um, I think, um, I think it is. Well, I've, I, I've always felt it was important, and uh, I was perhaps uh, because I was abroad. Uh, a couple of times when I was younger, um, I was interested in the American market, and of course, the Blooms of Bressingham brand was something that uh, I um, sort of started uh, with our business, uh, and also, of course, with uh, some of the new plants. I remember Potentilla Red Ace that we introduced back in '76. Um, that sort of went uh, uh, global rather than viral, perhaps. <laughs> Um, but um, and that that sort of pushed us forward with uh, introducing new plants, um, and uh, gave us much more of a contact with people in other countries. And uh, uh, I certainly felt that um, we shouldn't allow what my father had developed uh, with the Blooms plant go without at least an attempt to have the Blooms Bressingham brand and and some of the perennials that he introduced. Um, introduced into America at the same time. So I did go over there two or three times a year for 20 or 30 years. Um, and I think we built the brand up uh, reasonably well, but I think it was not sustainable in the way that it was done and probably needed much more financial uh, clout than we were able to have. But um, uh, but I think that helped get our name there. And, you know, of course, with the gardens uh, as a center, um, we do get many visitors, but uh, not that uh, you could rely on that, particularly in the last couple of years. No, no. Well, certainly is a famous international name. Can you name a few more of the greatest hits, um, uh, plant introductions you, that you've had o over the years? Uh, well, we've had uh, some successes and some, some failures. I think my father certainly had uh, one or two things that don't have the Bressingham name, Crocosmia lucifer, which uh, most people would know... Um, uh, among all the Crocosmias there are, that was one introduced in 1966, and it went, uh, of course, um, across the world. And uh, I'm not saying it's necessarily the best, but it's still the one that's uh, offered by nearly every catalogue uh, that's going. And um, mm. so that was one that, uh, of course, in the early days, there were no plant breeders' rights, no patent, uh, and so on. But uh, that one would have 
perhaps perhaps has helped helped us out with a few royalties at certain times. Red Ace was one that um, Pone Tillers have sort of somewhat disappeared, uh, interestingly enough, and uh, that was a big hit for us. We followed it up with uh, Formiums from New Zealand, and uh, they had their day as well. We had a few hard winters that sort of sorted them out to some extent, <laughs> and uh, and then there was another one that we introduced, which was uh, Bachelor Golden Cloud, um, and uh, that was one where um, you know, it, it 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 is still a good plant. It's still doing very well here, but it wasn't a garden centre plant. And I remember us sending it out uh, to garden centres, um, and of course uh, the wind blew it over, the sun scorched the leaves, and in no time it was looking pretty pretty sad and sorry for itself. Uh, but um, and then we we certainly introduced uh, plants on behalf of uh, other people. Uh, Hebe Margaret was one. Um, and uh, of course, Geranium Roseanne was, was very much another. And that has been probably the greatest success of all. Um, and um, it's good to garden with some of these things. And I think we were probably the first to have Cornus uh, Midwinter, well, not Midwinter Fire, it was Winter Beauty, which I've always been interested in the year round garden and plants that um, perform at that time of the year. And uh, so the Cornus uh, really have become quite popular over time. And I think if you get with a good plant, um, I've tended to not, as you do, you know, so often with an impulse plant, you know, it, it's a new plant, you try it out and then you find it out that it's not really that good over a period of time. But some of those that I've put in the garden here, like Hydrangea Annabelle, as well as the Cornus and so on, I find more and more uses for them. Um, and um, so, you know, you can make more impact. If you've got a bigger garden, you can make more impact. But a scale that you could scale down, for instance, the Cornus Midwinter Fire, um, the Ophiopogon, and also the Snowdrop Galanthus S. Arnott, which is one I have split and divided over the years, um, those three plants could grace any particular garden or even, even into a patio container and um, that's something I've done too so I've always tended to think mainly because um, we had a mail order business and we were dealing with the public through garden centers that um, you know if they could see something get an ideas about a combination that might work in their garden that's uh, that's really one way to get them some, some inspiration uh, over to 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 the public and hopefully they would would gain from that and try them out and uh, you know have success. No, it did strike me that you talk about year-round interest, um, unlike the sort of Chelsea Flower Show moment in in time gardens, and that certainly comes through in your selection in the book. Now, you've also mentioned a number of sort of upcoming anniversaries. You know, you've talked about 1962 when you started in the business. So it'll be 60 years next year and 2026 will be 100 years. And have you got any anniversary plans or have you got any sort of plans in general you can tell us about? We um, initially, as regard the anniversaries, I hadn't really triggered the uh, sort of uh, uh, 60 years, but uh, I suppose it is a sort of anniversary of sorts, isn't it? Having been uh, joined the company for that long um, but um, yes the 2026 one I think that we we will try to in fact we're working on it at the moment um, 
I think most companies, uh, our own included, um, probably we never had time or never thought. You're always looking forward, you're always trying to manage for the day. And therefore you tend to, unless you're extremely profitable and therefore have uh, plenty of people on your uh, payroll, that, um, you know, looking at the history of a, a, a nursery or a garden or plants and so on, has not been something that would be a top priority. But we have got quite an, quite an archive and I'm trying to get together an archive which we would have available in 2026, which would um, sort of um, hopefully place um, Bloom's uh, family in uh, and uh, all the way through the family, to, uh, from my father and grandfather for that matter, um, into the uh, 20th century uh, as um, perhaps uh, a nursery that sort of was uh, involved all the way through from say 1926 all the way to the end of the century um, and saw some of the changes happening um, and uh, were involved in some of those and I think uh, that that would be something to be able to have enough uh, information catalogues etc <laughs> you know enabled to, to to be enabled to to make a display and show at that time um, so you know there isn't a budget for it but we're we're looking at uh, ways that we might be able to finance something like that no that archive certainly sounds very valuable now a couple of last things um you are looking for people who want to graft conifers is, is that right what can you tell us about that well a uh, you know um i'm afraid quite often uh, perhaps as one does get uh, older although uh, one doesn't want to accept that necessarily but you do see changes in the industry and it seems like uh, on the educational front uh, propagation front um, that uh, the grafting of conifers in particular but many other plants too is a declining skill and particularly in this country i think it's probably the same in other countries too but uh, they started uh, in a bigger way than most of us because years ago we used to get all the grafted plants from Holland or from Germany and uh, or France for that matter but most of them still come from that area I think um, there's a few nurseries started up over here and did some grafting but um, it's um, it's a bit or can be hit and miss and it's a bit slow in order to produce something and then of course you've got to charge a high price there is a demand, but it's a limited demand, perhaps. But um, I, I know that several conifers I have, which would only be propagated by grafting, uh, if I have to get rid of them, um, there probably are very few around um, elsewhere. So I don't think that it's going to be possible necessarily to um, to sort of uh, suddenly sort of think that we can get people into grafting over here. There's got to be a need for it, and I think. The industry as a whole will probably lose um, if we don't have somebody who's able to graft and uh, introduce some of those things, particularly as, you know, with Brexit and uh, the plant health thing, uh, it will get more difficult rather than, than uh, easier. Um, so I, I'm certainly sorry to see that disappearing and um, I will be writing on it, but um, it may be if anybody is out there. Um, within the industry is a very keen on grafting or has the knowledge of it, it would be good to know.
let's hope that skill can get passed on. No, I mean that's 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 that that'll be a really valuable legacy. Now it's been fascinating talking to you, Adrian. Now, but we always ask all our guests the same question at the end, and it's a really hard one for you uh, with your vast knowledge of plants. But we talk about your desert island plant, and if you had to choose just one, what would you take take away with you? Yeah, well, that would be. That is obviously quite difficult, isn't it, uh, if you consider the desert island? Well, i tell you what I would probably go for. I mean, you could go for something like Hydrangea Annabelle. Uh, you could go for something like um, uh, the Geranium Rosan. Um, personally, I think I'd probably go for Ophiopogon, which I know will do fairly well in sort of hot summers and so on, put it in the shade. Um, it seeds, and I would uh, keep uh, sowing the seed and hopefully hoping that we might get some variation in some of the seedlings that come for it. So it would be something that would, you know, calm the nerves. You could you you could certainly put it into uh, into the shade and create all sorts of uh, contrast with other plants. Um, and um, so I think I would probably take that. No, that's a, that's oh that would be good. Looking still looking for variations, even though you're stuck on a on a desert island. <laughs> Adrian, it's been it's been brilliant talking to you, and thanks for listening to the Horticulture Week podcast with me, Matthew Appleby, who has been today with Adrian Bloom. Now make sure you never miss a Horticulture Week podcast. Subscribe to or follow Horticulture Week podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or your preferred podcast platform and if you're interested in producing a podcast with Hot Week contact me matthew.appleby at haymarket.com once again thank you and goodbye until next time planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.